So there's always a pairing of a limiting belief and then behaviors that go with that limiting belief. One of them is that we have to hustle for our worthiness, right? When people think that that's the way they have to show up, they get exhausted because they're overdoing all the time. They feel that their worth is directly related to what they do. And so they're just doing, 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 they're depleted. And then you're, you're laughing. Is this the so damn laughter of recognition? I'm like, okay, <laughs> either I have all seven or she nailed it on the first one. Welcome to Heal. On today's episode, Tanya Cole Lesnick and I explore the world of love and relationships with ourselves and others through her expertise as a psychotherapist and leader of group therapy. For her own journey and the one she takes her clients and groups through, she highlights the importance of being seen and having others say, I get you, I see you. We also talk about the core experience of being lovable, deserving love, and balancing our needs and wants with our boundaries, intimacy, and authentic connection with others. Tanya Cole Lesnick has been a psychotherapist, licensed clinical social worker, and coach since 1995. She received her master's degree in social work from New York University after group therapy changed her life. She has extensive experience in outpatient hospital mental health, private practice, and wellness center, center settings. Her work revolves around a combination of intimate therapeutic groups and individual sessions as the sharing of inner worlds and being human together in safe space, collectively and individually, is an incredibly powerful combination that leads to lasting transformation. I love this episode, and you will too. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. Well, this is such a pleasure. Tanya, thank you so much for being here on Heal with us today. I am really pumped for this conversation. Oh, Sarah, thank you. I'm excited. I know you and I have connected a tiny bit just before this part of our chat, but I already feel like just such a, a nice, easy connection with you. So I'm excited. Yeah, I think we have a, a ton of resonance in, in your approach as a psychotherapist coming at empowering people to you know, really live lives that light them up and working at that alignment of inside and out. And I very much do a very, I would almost use those words as well as people are free and expressing who they really are in the world, eliminating the obstacles of disease and pain and inflammation and things on their physical body. And you kind of can't deal with one without the other. Like there's a point where I'm like, okay, yes, you came to me for rheumatoid arthritis and also like therapy or coaching or some work on your lifestyle from a different perspective is going to be a really key above and beyond, you know, banging your head against the wall of eating clean every minute of every day is like not always the answer. Yeah. <laughs> so I just see so much there. Yeah. I love that because the reverse happens with me where I'm talking to clients and we get into the very basic self-care stuff. How are they taking care of their physical bodies as well in this whole process? Yeah. Yeah. It's all connected. Yes. So I want to start with something unique about this conversation with, with you that I haven't seen brought up as much with some other people is specifically around the power of group. And, you know, I have, I have a background in transformational coaching and most of that work was done in really large settings, like 150 people seminars, which can be really intimidating for people at first, except then there's something amazing that, and magical that happens where you 
feel like you're in a room of 150 best friends instead of 150 strangers and like recognizing what's between us and group. And that was actually some work that we did in those coaching workshops was like, what's between us and, you know, being with people. And I think it's something that's not talked about enough, even though what we're hungry for is social connection and having our lives work. We don't deal with that. So I just, I'm going to just let you run with like where that's come from for you and what you've discovered in your work with people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a layered question for me. It's why I got into this field. I was originally a graphic designer and going through my own experience of my growth. And I was struggling to have a long-term love relationship and was scared about going to therapy and didn't see it as an option initially. And this was more than 30 years ago. And I finally opened up to the possibility of that felt quickly connected to the therapist who then suggested group therapy, which terrified me, but she thought it would be helpful. And I wanted to, I so wanted to change this part of my life where I was struggling. And so I I went with it and it was quite scary at first. I know at the beginning feeling very much on the outside, but it didn't take long for me to hear some of the stories of the people who had already been in group. They kind of had this rolling admissions thing where people would just join as they join. So there'd be people who had been in it for a while and then newer people coming in. So at first I was much more of an observer and watching some of the stories that they shared with each other and the connection. I could see the relationships they had developed with each other. And it helped me to feel safe, to start to share some of my inner world. I was really worried going into that situation. I was going to prove what I feared, which was that maybe I was unlovable. Maybe that was why I was struggling. And so at first, you know, it was it was the thought of somebody being able to hear from me and then say, oh yeah, you are unlovable was definitely a barrier for me. But as I took a little bit more risk, shared a little bit more, the connection of being really sharing inner worlds with each other from this place of, I know me too, I've got you, you're not alone, I get you, I see you, all of that is so powerful. And then in that process, it helped me transform my life. I did meet my husband at the time. We just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary this past September. We have two amazing grown daughters. So all of that happened. But what I hadn't anticipated was how impactful that process was going to be about my relationship with myself and how, even though, yes, it's all about connection as well, there that's a huge part of it, but I learned so much about myself in that process and decided to change careers. And here I am almost 30 years after that and have been doing coaching and therapy for all those years, and especially still love group, because I think it offers something that's just different than individual. Individual is amazing as well, but there's something about group that's special that I don't think people fully understand. Yeah, I would completely echo that. Now, I I will give the disclosure that I've not been involved in group therapy 
I've wanted to specifically, you don't know this, my audience does. My father passed away of pancreatic cancer last year. And, you know, this has been a level and experience of grief like I've never had before. And Mm. it's whatever life circumstances that I haven't actually done this yet, but it's been calling to me that I actually would really like to be in a group setting to do some work on this at this point. And in other formats through women's circles, that was something that I got really connected to, gosh, 15 plus years ago. And actually, so I was raised a hippie kid and my parents would go to the Zen center and my mom had these group therapy sessions. And she also had a women's group called women's journey. And I, as a teenager, totally rebelled and was like, I will never do that. Like that is so weird. And my mom and all of her friends howling at the moon in the backyard with their drums and their talking sticks. And like, all I was like not having it. And then secretly I'm 28 years old. And I like go off to the Caribbean to go to this retreat that was a women's circle <laughs> and That's it was so like funny. goddess journey work and everything. And I was like, I, I did tell my mom, but I kind of didn't want to tell my mom. So right around my Saturn return, 27 years old, like I break into this space and there is always been something available to me in those, for me, I think of it as circles and that human mm-hmm. beings have been circling in tribe, in community forever, always. Yeah. And, and there is something like there's a facilitator, you know, there's usually someone leading the conversation and creating some of the container, but then there's just so much that I have gotten from what other people share in terms of like shared wisdom. Like they got to figure it out for me. So I don't have to do the work. And then also that a level of being seen and like feeling okay with who I am in a deep that I don't, even when a therapist or a coach says like, no, that's good. Or like mm-hmm. reaffirms, there is something about a peer to peer relationship and, and being witnessed in the world that I think is integral. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I think I always remember just having that experience of there's weight to that, that is different in the individual. It's like that person is, you know, you've hired them. There are sort of it's a given that they're on your team when you have either the coach or the relationship with the therapist, but the people in the group, they can share whatever they want. So when they speak about something that's resonating for them, connected to something that you shared, it really does have more of a weight, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I recently finished Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart last year. And I am a big fan. I've read a lot of her books. And one of the things that I remember from that was she was talking about how incidences where we experience shame happen with another person and that they get healed with other people Mm. and that that there's a degree of work we can do on ourselves and for sure personal work and, you know, self-reflection and insight is really powerful but there is actually something critical to heal shame that requires relationship and being witnessed and seen in relationship, bringing shame into the light is a lot of one of the things she talks about. And I, I like, I can completely get that. Like there was a lot of perspective I could gain on some of my own things that I've dealt with over the years, which were, you know, locked away in a place that I would call shame. Mm -hmm. And it was when with safe people, with the right person, I was able to get in communication about it and start to share. And even the times that that has come up in group settings. And I, you know, I have a bit of a tendency of what in my head, I think I'm an oversharer, thus Mm. hosting a podcast. Now you guys have to listen to me, (laughs) but it's, it's been something that I judge myself about 
And Mm. it's been interesting because sometimes I'll be in a group setting. Like I do a lot of work around integration circles and like spiritual circles and things, you know, in kind of non-religious, but spiritual communities. And I will share really vulnerably. And I have this like vulnerability hangover, immediate reaction of like, oh my God, I went too far. What was I thinking? And then someone will come up to me afterwards. And, and their heart is just brimming over with like, thank you so much. And me too. And I, I've never had the courage to say something like that, but it was like exactly what I needed to hear. And, and there's that place where I can just like, okay, one, it was worth it. And two, like, maybe that's another piece I can get the other little voice in my head to just calm itself down and honor Mm -hmm. like my heart's truth got expressed and witnessed and seen, and it made a difference. That's right. And it's so funny when you were telling that story, I was thinking about my own experience this past September, I went away to a women's retreat in Italy and similar experience where, you know, I, I probably am an oversharer as well. And in my work always with clients, I've shared stories of my own. I also feel like as I put myself out there in podcasts and Instagram and stuff, I feel okay sharing my story, but it's not mine to share other people's stories. So I'm always very mindful of that and careful Mm -hmm. about that, which means I share my own stuff a lot. So, (laughs) but when you were talking, I was thinking about my own experience in that retreat and being vulnerable, which, you know, in some ways it gets easier and in some ways it doesn't, it's vulnerable, you know, like that's what makes it hard to share. So sharing some of that. And I had the exact same experience where people would come up to me and talk about how much what I shared resonated for them. And also by my sharing, they felt permission to go to that deeper place themselves. And so it's like the the synergy of us all kind of being in this kind of space together where we're taking a little bit of risk. And from that, we feel a little braver. So I would love for you to speak more to that, which is it's almost like a cliche hashtag, the power of vulnerability. No offense, Brene Brown. Like I love that she wrote the book, you know, but yes. it, it gets kind of tossed around, but I yeah. actually, you know, I want to ask you like, no, but really what is the importance in the healing process and the work that we're doing in self-actualizing and, and coming into being in the highest alignment and, and really expressing who we are? Like, do I really have to get vulnerable? Like, is there another way? Can I avoid this? Like, what's the deal with vulnerability? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing is about vulnerability and and the connection to shame, right? Like if we are not sharing some of that stuff, we've got some internal dialogue about it. We're, We're very deliberately holding it in. We notice it coming up and we hold it in again and again. If it's something that's you know, we start to see it's it's rising to the surface sometimes. That has an impact on us. So then we're a little bit distracted by our own insides. And we're also making a judgment about our insides. They're not okay. They're not okay to put them out in the world. So I better squash that back down. And that whole process takes a lot of energy and we're giving ourselves the message. There's something that's really not okay about us. And if instead we allow some of that out and survive it, I think what happens is it doesn't have that same kind of 
toxicity to it because while we're trying to hold it in and stuff it down, it's really unacceptable to us. We just feel like we can't show up in the world having whatever it is that we see feel so vulnerable about be part of us. So we feel, I think, very tainted. I felt very flawed going into that experience of struggling with a long-term love relationship. Think And, and we tell ourselves stories about it. And oh, yeah. so I was telling myself I was unlovable. And by going through and putting that out in the world and realizing I was just thinking one of the early on groups that I was in, I was so afraid to share that. And I was so afraid to be seen as unlovable. And I hadn't even started to share much. One of the people in the group said he could spot my neediness, which was really hard to hear, but very interesting because I thought I was hiding this part of myself. I thought I was curating this whole part of myself so that people could only see the best parts of me. And the truth is it shows up anyway. And so I think the vulnerability piece is starting. It's really a relationship with ourselves to start telling ourselves it's such a bad part of ourselves and that it's okay to be human and it's okay to have these bits and pieces. And it's hard because that stuff, as we're busy hiding it, it's the stuff that hasn't seen much of the light of day. And so to start getting some of that out there into the world, and you mentioned earlier, it's got to be the right circles, right? It cannot be just yeah. anybody. There certainly are people who are not safe to be vulnerable with. Absolutely. But as you start to connect with people at a deeper level and start to let some of that out in the world, I think that feeling of not being okay starts to ease up some. And especially if we are met with understanding and we are met with people who see our beauty and not the what we fear, which is this unacceptable human. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's been something for me being a public figure and being willing to put myself out there, you know, in this form of the podcast, I have recently started to think about that there may be a book coming, you know, in, Mm -hmm. in the more soon times. And I did publish a cookbook back in 2012. And I remember the book was done 10 months before we published And there were, you know, in my head, it wasn't done. There were these very important, very critical things we absolutely had to make sure was completely handled before. But it really was the last seven months was I couldn't, I wouldn't let it out of my hands because when it, when we hit publish, it was out there to be judged. Right. And I was, I mean, it was interesting because I wasn't willing to actually fully index the book and and put in like research paper references to all of the nutritional information we provided. But at the same time, I was certain that that was going to be our demise and that people were just going to like come after how, whatever, I don't even, it was a whole monster in my head, right? Mm, That was 2012. It's been 11 years and I've not had a single person (laughs) Be like, you know, I just can't believe that you guys didn't create a bibliography for a cookbook. Like, who does that anyways, right? But it was, <laughs> I was so sure, right, that this was just going to be like, they weren't going to take us seriously. And then what's been wild is it's been the opposite, where I just had somebody yesterday say, 
you know, I picked up your book again and like, I just can't get over how relevant it still is today. I mean, we, it was gluten-free, dairy-free cookbook. It wasn't full-blown paleo, but it was like whole foods, you know, and, and we just talked about here's why you would do that. And it's interesting because we're still engaging in those exact same conversations today about gut health and balancing energy systems and what inflammatory foods are. And we had no idea this book would have that kind of like longevity when we published it, but there was so much of that fear and wrestling with myself for myself. Like I have many times spoken about being a recovering perfectionist and where that perfectionism will still grab me. Mm. And, and in more of my own work, I've seen the connection between okay, why am I a perfectionist? What is actually the driving force behind that? And it's a ineffective model to try and preserve relationship and connection. Yeah. That's actually what I'm fighting for is to keep a relationship intact. The irony is, is the stronger my perfectionism is in a relationship, the more I push people away or I, you know, have them actually have a hard time dealing with me because I I can be particular about things and <laughs> you know, all of this. So it, it, it's, it's like when we have those parts of ourselves though, like for you, when you noticed, you know, in this person's reflection that your neediness was not as hidden as you thought, right. Mm-hmm. For me, when I have had to come to terms with what makes me a very extraordinary analytical diagnostician as a physician makes me a really, I'm going to use my own words, shit partner when I am going down to every nitty gritty detail with the person I'm dating about how this one little thing could, you know, like I, I got to learn to relax a lot in relationships. Yeah. How, how do we deal with like, how, how do we, how do we, <laughs> once we have maybe identified, okay, this is something I notice I'm doing and it's not really working in my life. Then what? Yeah. Oh, I love that question. I, I more fairly recently, I started to refer to some of stuff like that. And I'll say a little bit more about what I mean by stuff like that as energetic clutter, because I think we can just go forward automatic pilot and do some of these things that are not serving us, but got put in place for various reasons. I know you were saying in your case, it was to keep relationships intact. I think for sure there's a safety piece to that. Like if I show up perfectly, then there's nobody's going to have a reason not to love me. And my own version of that is the people pleasing tendencies that I've had. And so my also is like, if I don't say yes, and if I'm not accommodating to other people, people will abandon me. And I think the way to start to handle that is start to understand that's an example for both of us of limiting beliefs that we brought into our adulthood that got developed most likely for most of us in childhood somewhere along the way, got the messaging. In my case, uh, probably especially my mother dealt with a lot of anxiety and that came out as anger and rage. So as a kid, I learned how to not rock the boat, just show mom what she wanted. Don't push her in any way, shape or form. Try and just be easy and accommodating. And that brought me into adulthood where I realized, wait a minute, I'm not even checking in with myself. I'm not even like trying to pay attention to what I want and what I need. And even back to this story about the love relationship, my question changed very much from, is he going to like me to, huh, I wonder if I'm going to like him. And I hope there's a fit there. So there's a lot of nuance in this starting to explore 
whatever it is that's in the way for each of us. And I call it energetic clutter because I think it's stuff we wouldn't necessarily choose to be in place, but it takes up a lot of space just like physical clutter does and it impacts how we feel. And so I think starting to get really curious about your own patterns, what's working for you, what's not working for you, pain points are a really good place to start. And just to see, I think what you described was realizing it's not always great for a partnership. And so you probably learn the hard way that like, hmm, maybe I should look at that. So I think, yeah. yeah. I was just going to say when the, when the third partner had said to me, I feel like no matter what I do, it's never enough. I was like, hmm, I need to look at this, like raising the bar, raising the bar, raising the bar. And I do it to myself inside of my own work is like, okay, well, I, I said I was going to hit 10. I now hit 10, but I actually meant 15 and now I meant Mm. 33. And then I'm, you know, and like, I move the bar a lot and I do a lot of work with myself on celebrating the wins and like letting Mm. myself actually be in the presence of accomplishment, which was, that is, that is that, that, that phrase even came out of my mouth. Yeah, that's, that's 15 years of personal growth work and therapy Ooh. and all the things I've done because that was not how I was yeah. wired previously. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think you the way you talk about it seems clear to me that it's still something <clears throat> as is my pattern, you know, that you need to stay mindful about. It's very easy to go back down that track when we get into, especially when we get into automatic pilot stuff. So when we're not creating space for ourselves to get quiet, reflect, go in, check in with ourselves to say, how you doing? What do you want? What do you need? That kind of thing. We can get caught back up in these patterns. Yeah. So what would you, could you give us some more examples or kind of definitions of the energetic clutter? Like what else that entails? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I really see it mostly as the pairing. So there's always a pairing of a limiting belief and then behaviors that go with that limiting belief of whatever we did to respond to that belief, whatever it is. So, and there's seven really common ones that I've identified. And I'm sure there's more, there's always more, but the ones I'll just go quickly. If that, does that sound okay to go through? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So I'll go through. So one of them is that we have to hustle for our worthiness, right? So when people think that that's the way they have to show up, they get exhausted because they're overdoing all the time. They feel that their worth is directly related to what they do. And so they're just doing, 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 they're depleted. And then you're, you're laughing. Is this the damn laughter of recognition? I'm like, okay, (laughs) either I have all seven or she nailed it on the first one. Yes. I I very much resemble this remark. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, and then what happens is you're in this vicious cycle because unless you interrupt it, you're too exhausted to come back to yourself to see what you even want and need because you're so busy hustling to earn your worth. So that's one. Another one, which you mentioned already is this control idea that we need to be in control in order to be safe. And they come from various places. That one in particular from control, I think is often connected to when there's alcoholism in the house or some kind of substance use. There's so much unpredictability that somebody growing up in a space like that 
starts to figure out how do I control things so that I can feel safer. And so they can get really super controlling, certainly perfectionistic with themselves and then controlling with other people. And that's exhausting. And that's never about how do I feel? It's always external. Like you're always looking on the outside to decide how can I make this situation more perfect? How can I have more drive here? How can I push a little bit harder here? So that, and then Another one is mine that I shared earlier is the people pleasing one that in order to be loved, we need to please others. And yeah, and that one is terrible because then we're never putting ourselves first. We're always putting other people first. And so how are you going to live a life you really love if you're busy putting everybody else first? So I think that one is really important. They're all really important to just recognize and start to shift. I'm really hoping I can remember all seven of them. So anyway, let's see. That that something about like our dreams we're not enough, right? So mm. we're not enough. So we might rule out then dreams that we have because we feel like they're so out of reach for us. Why even bother? We just don't have what it takes to reach whatever that dream is. And then another one is we're too much. We're too, we're too emotional. We're too expressive. Even we're too strong. And so what people who struggle with that one do is they quiet down parts of themselves so they're not showing up fully in the world. And then another one is just that it's more important to put other people ahead of ourselves, that being selfless is the way to be, that be, taking care of ourselves first is so selfish, and that it's the the way to show love, it's the way to earn admiration. And then I think I might be at the seventh possibly is that one more, is that it is more important to be productive than to engage in self-care. And so when people struggle with that one, you know, the idea is like, let me finish this to-do list before I can come back to myself. But then we're never done and we never get to ourselves and things just, you know, we don't allow for things like rest or fun or even calming our nervous systems when they've been activated. All that starts to feel like it's not worthy of our time and we're just not feeling balanced and good. So... That yeah. was awesome, actually. Uh, five out of the seven hit home for me. <laughs> so that's, and and it was cool because like they're they're not new new discoveries for me. Like I really felt like oh yeah, I've I've actually heard myself say some of these things when I'm in survival or I'm shut down or I'm in a world of no possibility when I'm not you know feeling really good about life. You know, I've particularly the one of like why even bother with certain dreams? Like, it's just not going to happen anyways. And, mm -hmm. you know, there was a few that you literally like your words verbatim. I'm like, I've heard, that has gone through my head before. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I heard you saying while you were talking about this was, was that's not you listening to how you feel. So let's, mm -hmm. let me ask a little bit about that. And I, I have a suspicion this might even connect into the other thing I'd really love to talk about, which is differentiating our needs and our wants distinct mm -hmm. from letting these guys run the show, right? Because it can, sometimes it looks like these are my needs. Like yeah. no, you you don't get it. I have to get the to-do list done. You don't get it. I can't go to bed until all the dishes are actually put away and everything looks a particular way. I can't, you know, like I actually used to yeah. say it's still, it's not a breakthrough for me now, but to have people come over to my house and not spend an hour, hour and a half 
like cleaning everything up beforehand. And Mm. if you knew what my house looks like on most of the time, you'd get that that's a perfectionistic because my house is ready to be filled with people at any given moment all the time. But my brain doesn't always think that, right? Mm -hmm. And so part of me would say, no, Tanya, those are my needs. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm feeling you have some access to some other parts of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to this pain point idea. If you were doing that and cleaning up the space and there was flow to that part of your life and it felt like there was no real issue, it didn't feel like it was in your way at any point, then I don't think it's a big deal. But more often than not, these things that I just listed and then the behaviors that go along with them are in the way. And so I think what from your story of like cleaning up the house, even though your house is looking pretty darn good, is that you can't allow for spontaneity. It's It feels too uncomfortable to allow some of that flow that probably would be very gratifying for you to be able to allow more of that flow in. And so, I mean, all of this is really is about life satisfaction. And if we can figure out where we're getting in our own way, then we can shift accordingly. You don't have to change that pattern, but if it's in your way, you might want to. Yeah, no, I really get that. So give me, what would be your, like, where do we go looking or how could we start to differentiate authentic needs and wants? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, those are real quiet and that's where, or they can be real quiet. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's where I think it's really important for us all to kind of have some kind of practice of getting quiet with ourselves and journaling can be great. Wandering in nature can be great. Just literally sitting on the couch, being quiet can be great. I, throughout my day, every day will I have a practice of checking in with myself. How you doing? And is this, you know, are we on the right track in, in terms of like, is this in alignment with how you want to be living your life? So that's part of what I do. But I think that it starts out as a bit of a whisper of like, oh, maybe I'd like, and and we don't really know whether or not it's in alignment yet. Sometimes it's a whisper and we think, huh, well, maybe I should go with that. If we're in a practice of starting to listen to ourselves and we hear some of those whispers, I I recommend that we all kind of first give ourselves that quiet space and then check those out. Like, What are the things that are speaking to you? And we grow and we evolve. And so those things that are in alignment might show up at different times in our lives. It's not that they're always front and center. I share that I used to be a graphic designer and something that's come up for me recently as I've been on just this next chapter in my professional life is really longing to reconnect to that that creative part of myself. And so I I started to take silversmithing classes again, which I had done 30 years ago before I had kids. And I have my little box of tools. They're the same tools I've had for 30 years. And my teacher is so impressed that I really went pretty far. I don't think I realized how far I went with it. Mm. But now going back and looking, I'm like, wow, that was really a part of who I was. And I stopped connecting to that part of myself. And so 
I don't know that I can say I was really neglecting that part of myself, but it's definitely something that's in alignment with who I am. It was something that got put on the back burner while I raised my kids and built my career. And it's something that's coming back. And I'm getting such joy from connecting to that. So it's, there's so much nuance in this and it's such like there's gray areas and something can really connect and feel like it's in alignment for a week and then not. I mean, it, it's not like there's, there's a real always, it's like, oh, this is the list. These are the things. And so I'll just live this way. It doesn't yeah. really work that way. Although there are some things that are pretty consistent that stay steady in our our lives. And it's that process of consistently checking in with ourselves and seeing what we want and what we need. And I know we were talking about the distinction between needs and wants, but I would say it's okay also to have some wants in there and to figure out when are you crossing a line? I mean, I'm just going to use TV as an example. So like many of us use TV as a way to decompress, but TV can very easily cross this line into this very depressing, overdoing it activity. And is TV bad? No. I mean, I think to be able to figure out when is it something that really kind of you're enjoying it, you're present, you know, like engaged in what you're watching and it feels like a nice break versus I can't sort of move to whatever's next because I'm just vegging out and I'm not present in my life. They're very different experiences. So I think figuring out your own nuance with the bits and pieces that are speaking to you is a, is an ongoing process. Yeah. And I think what you were saying about getting quiet and listening to the whispers, like what that requires for many of us is slowing down Yeah, and even yeah. stopping. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my work, I have men and women, but a lot of women clients that come to me in varying stages of perimenopause or menopause. And there's a whole world that happens in that transition. But a lot of what brings them into my office is because hormonally things are not expressing in an easy flowing, no big deal way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there's interruption to their sleep and there's, you know, hot flashes maybe, or there's physical pain or, or things that their body's going through. And one of the key things that I have found is you know, our life force energy is related to our sex hormones. And there's this like energetic concept of our womb space being a source of creative life force energy. And whether you had kids or you didn't have kids or you're complete with, you know, your kids are grown, there is something to tapping back into that womb space, that creative space, that center that we carry. And it, speaking of energetic clutter, like it gets filled with stuff and with busyness and when we're exhausted, the body is not going to go towards creativity and creation of life. And so slowing down and bringing in even rest. And I have been known to share about this. I often prescribe my clients eight days. I call it bed rest. It's not medical bed rest, but the idea is, is like eight days of nothing, it usually requires going to a hotel or an Airbnb or like something so that you can truly be on your own by yourself. And 
There's no appointments you're taking. There's no, this is a great time to get the taxes done. There's not, right. I'm going to start my next exercise routine. You know, there's not, this is not a boot camp, and it's not even a retreat. Retreats are great, but they tend to have an intention and a structure around yep. them. It is complete space I for eight days to sleep as much. That's the first thing, because many of my clients come to me exhausted, is I want you to sleep as much as your body will let you. Most people are shocked how much that actually is when they don't have a reason why they can't sleep, when there's literally no obstruction at all. They also sometimes are surprised that they don't, in fact, sleep for eight days straight. Like it's three or four days. And then their body gets a certain degree of being filled back up energetically in a way that they have not felt maybe ever in their adult life, but definitely in years. And so many people come to me saying, I want more energy. I want more energy. I want more energy. And I'm like, okay, are you willing to do less and rest more? And they're like, wait, what? No, I want uh, more energy so I can do more, not less. That's right. You know? yeah. And so it's this whole slowing down and being in that space. And so many people come back from that week with insights, with mm-hmm. ahas, with Ooh, big that. creative downloads that have come through about things they're working on, sometimes with some big like, oh shit, this part of my life is really not working and I now have to deal with it kind of insights. But I notice in the grieving process this year, being busy and keeping my life filled helps keep the emotions at bay. And when I slow down, one of the reasons I don't always like slowing down is because what's there first are the unfelt, unexpressed emotions. And then if I let myself move through that, there is that creative space behind it. But it's like, I've got to peel some layers to get there and it's not comfortable and I prescribe it, but I still struggle with it myself. And like, I do practice what I preach and I also am a human, (laughs) you know, and I go through my different phases and I'm right there with you where I can, you know, this last couple of years for me, I've had some different things going on. I have watched more Netflix and watched more, you know, streaming devices than I have in a long time in my life. And part of that is because I was literally working a hundred hours a week for 10 years. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And I needed to slow down. And there were places where like, I, I have actually gotten, gotten better at staring at the wall. And actually I stare out my window at nature. Right. And like, but you know, I've, I've needed to slow down. And then there's been moments where TV filled a void I didn't want to deal mm-hmm. with, right? Mm-hmm. And I can feel the difference. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that was that thing I did. I was avoiding life. I was avoiding what I didn't want to feel. And then there's yeah. other times where it was like, it kept my frontal cortex busy while I could just rest. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I love that because that really speaks to the nuance. I also love mm-hmm. that you prescribe that. That's amazing. You're welcome I, to take that one. I yeah. know. I was thinking that. I was yeah. like, huh, maybe I should <laughs> take that on. And I'm thinking about, and there is a piece of that where, well, if your doctor is telling you that you need to do that, then you may be more likely to give yourself permission to do that. And then from that, there's an experience that happens, yeah. which when somebody can connect to themselves on that level, it can set something in motion that changes everything. So yeah. I think that's amazing. And yeah, one of the things, so this chapter of my work 
I was employed with somebody else up until January of 2022. I started this sort of most recent chapter with myself. And it started, you were saying about people having insights. And sometimes it's like not the stuff you necessarily want to hear. I loved that job. So I was really happy with it. But part of what I loved about it is my boss was really open to creativity and I could do all kinds of things. So I'm like, I'm going to make a little documentary. I felt like I needed to do another professional video. I wanted to like help people understand that group is not so scary and share a little bit of my own story. And actually that was a whole process even getting to that. But when I was in the process of filming it, I was so connected to being in my presence that way, like just being so present as I was doing that, that I had this little thought, huh, maybe I should go back out on my own. And then I was like, shit, now what? I don't want to go do that. You know how many people <laughs> yeah. pleasing stuff got triggered by that? I'm like, oh, this is terrible timing. I don't want to disappoint them. Let these it's people down. Yeah. And so it was like a real, it, it was definitely a real challenging thing I had to get through. And so it was just a long process. But part of that for me too, is realizing, okay, now I'm on my own again. What does that look like? And letting that start to take shape and form. <clears throat> and then all this busyness popped up where it's like, I better do this. I better do that. And, and all of this stuff where there was this almost frenetic energy that I was starting to move towards things and realize that is not bringing me where I want. That wasn't the, the longing here. And so it's been a real process for me as well to say, don't respond to that. That's not your truth speaking. And again, it's in the process of getting quiet and realizing, oh, there's this thing I do and that is not serving me and I don't feel good. And that could be certainly another guiding force that does not feel good when I'm in that space. And I'm going to very deliberately catch it and reframe for myself. And I've been working on that very consistently since I noticed how much that energy showed up when I was back out on my own. And I'm like, whew, none of that. So, wow. yeah. So the last place I want to go here, which is probably a giant topic. So you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> is, you know, out in the world of yeah. conversations we have around us from social media and different places, I hear so much about boundaries. And I have a little bit of a thing that sticks in the back of my throat about it, where I feel like I hear it get tossed around a lot and like, you've got to draw a boundary and that relationship yeah. is so toxic and like, ah, and so I struggle with this conversation because on one hand, I actually think there's something really genuine and authentic. And again, I'm going to refer to Brene Brown's book because she, she talked about it was in Atlas of the Heart. She talked about, and I, I'm not going to quote this correctly because it was like 10 months ago I read it, but it was something to the effect mm -hmm. of. We, we have to draw boundaries to know where, where I end and you begin. And it's actually this loving act of service to the relationship. Yeah. That's what I got from the paragraph, right? Paraphrasing yeah. it. But I struggle with, with sometimes the way that even gets said back to me is like, well, I just needed to draw a boundary, but it feels more like I just got my hand caught, cut off, you know, in a relationship. You got any guidance for us and what this world of like, what does that even oh, mean? And how yeah. do we navigate this world of what is the healthy boundaries versus using that phrase in an unhealthy way? Like, I love your take. 
Yeah, I I love this as well. So one thing that happened recently when I was running a retreat, there was a woman in the retreat that was sort of talking with, with a lot of shame about realizing she had allowed certain things and really got into a very blaming space towards herself for allowing certain things. And I feel like that's kind of where boundaries are showing up. Like, well, you need to set a boundary as if you're being weak or versus you're being strong. And I feel like, again, not to get too caught up in nuance and shades of gray and all of that, but I'm going to use my own sort of way of dealing with being accommodating to talk about boundaries. So for me, one of the things that I recognized as I was working to heal this people-pleasing pattern in my life, I realized, oh, a real red flag for me is when I'm overly accommodating. And so just to notice that and be mindful of that. And I like to be accommodating when it works for me. Like it is part of who I am, as long as it doesn't interfere with my own sort of focus and flow and being able to differentiate between the two. When is it me doing it for somebody else versus when is it something that just, I can flow my day around it differently. And I have noticed that I'm really as long as I can be fluid, like if somebody needs me to shift something within a certain context, I can be fluid. It works fine. It's not a big deal. Then there are other times if I'm moving all these bits and pieces, then it's not honoring myself. So to really get clear, when does it honor me? When does it not? And little by little, like, first of all, recognizing where you want to set the boundary is something to celebrate. We don't always know that. We don't always see that. And so the first thing is just seeing it. Huge. Then catching it while it's happening, right? Like, oh, there, I didn't set that boundary. That's probably where I might want to set the boundary. But celebrating, okay, you caught it in action. You're getting closer to the event. Then it's like maybe not setting a full-on boundary, but it's setting, all right, I'll go to this social event for an hour, maybe. That's the boundary. The, the, the true boundary might be to say no, but the I'm moving towards this, so I'm going to do an intermediate kind of boundary is the next thing. Okay, you know, I said and put some boundaries around the time that I'm going to make myself available. And then maybe catching it beforehand and setting some things up beforehand so that you feel like you're ready for it, whatever it is for yourself. So I think, yeah, I do feel like there's a lot of pressure to be strong. Don't allow that. What are you doing? That kind of thing. But to really know this is hard and to celebrate every little step that you get to in your clarity is always huge. I think people don't often see stuff. So being clear is really an amazing part of this process. And what I, I think absolutely the clarity and what I heard for myself and when you were speaking is the clarity to actually slow down, to tune in to my needs and wants. And if mm-hmm. that's the, like, like, do I need to rest this weekend? Do I need to take some time? Like I'm, I'm traveling right now and I'm in a city where I know a lot of people and I often pack my evenings with dinners and events to see people. Cause I really love that. And it's just been very clear to me, I've needed more space this week. And, and so I didn't have to like set a boundary with anyone around me or kind of shut that. I just have 
kind of pulled my energy in and I've not reached out as much and I didn't post on social media that I'm here, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. which is just part of like yeah. keeping it in the space that, that feels really good to me. And, yeah. and then I also knew that that might come with some times where I feel a little weird and lonely and like, oh my God, I'm in this big city and I don't have anything mm. to do. And I'm like, well, that's funny. Cause that's one of the things that I really hate that feeling. And I will mm-hmm. do a lot to avoid it. And it's like, okay, wait, breathe, self-generate. Yeah. What do you actually yeah. need right now? You know, and it's, it's that slow down, breathe, check in with myself. How am I feeling? What do I actually need right now? Like that is, you know, has become mostly a good habitual thing in my life. Like I, I will tune in, gosh, if I really think about it, I might tune in 10, 10, 12 times a day Mm -hmm. easily. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think just, there's no right answer there. Like you could have also said, I am somebody who values self-care and I'm choosing to overdo it this week because you know what? Sometimes that's a choice to make. And mm-hmm. so I think it's with your eyes wide open, just knowing, okay, what am I doing? How am I serving myself? Am I choosing? Am I not tolerating some discomfort when we make the choices and also allowing ourselves to shift? Let's say you made this decision, you did it this way, and then you kind of got your fill and you're like, all right, now I feel ready. And so, okay, now I'm going to switch gears. And that's okay too. And I think as long as you are choosing for yourself, even if you don't do it right away in the way that's going to honor you, but at least if you're kind of looking, I think that's really important and helpful. And then, you know, either you'll learn from the experience if you overstep or do it wrong or, and by wrong, I just mean not honoring yourself. There's no other right or wrong, but like not honoring yourself. And then you're like, all right, I learned or now I'm done. (laughs) Now I want to rest again or whatever it is. So, Yeah. 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 I work with my clients a lot. I have a bit of a niche around chronic fatigue syndrome. And so I have many people who come to me in various states of physiologic exhaustion. And, and one of the things we have to work on is, is them even being able to feel authentically what their body's communicating and then discovering. And there's a very physical boundary of like, I can walk this much, but not that much. I can, you Mm -hmm. know, I can go grocery shopping, but I can't spend the afternoon you know, out running errands all day, or I can do this one thing, but not. And for some people it's, I can get up and stand in the kitchen, but I can't prepare a whole meal for my family and like learning those with themselves. And it's a moving target. It's not always Mm -hmm. the same every single day. And that tuning in, tuning in, tuning in. And there's also a point in people's recovery where they actually need to test some of those boundaries because there's a lot of fear that builds up of if I cross the boundary, I'm going to pay for it. And so I never even want to try and find out what I'm capable of. So there's Mm -hmm. a point where then it's like, I want you to push a little, I want you to see, you might discover that line is out further than you thought. So it's also challenging ourselves, especially if we're working, you know, for many people, even still, there is a like reconstituting ourselves as social beings after the last three years from the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it takes something to like break through that surface tension and put ourselves back out there and and start to be out engaged in the world and be social. And, you know, I've been, I've been willing to overdo it a bit and go, wow, all right, well, that's yeah. new, you know, but getting to actually have the gratification and experience of being with people and 
you know, letting the night kind of take, take me away into places I didn't expect it to. I, last weekend I stayed up way too late. It was totally worth it. I had a great time. I haven't had two nights in a row up till two in the morning in a long time. And, you know, I needed to really set myself up for rest afterwards, but it was worth it. Yeah. 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 I love that. Yeah. And I think just in all these different layers that we're talking about, watch the should, right? Because even what you're describing about people getting really specific about where their energy is, sometimes people, I'm sure you experience that, we're like, I should be able to make a whole meal. That's ridiculous that I can only stand up and get very unaccepting of whatever it is their bodies are telling them. And so to to really meet yourself with much more kindness and just being compassionate towards yourself. Like, what do you need? And where are you? And to let rather than this external idea be the driving force, but just to check in and see where you're at and watch that judgmental. I mean, we can all get so judgmental towards ourselves. Yeah. Tanya, this has been such a great hour with you and it just flowed so well. I literally would like, okay, let's, and next, what's the next topic? You know, (laughs) it was just an absolute joy and a pleasure. We're going to have all of your information in the show notes. People can get in contact with you. And what are you, what are you up to these days? Are you doing one-on-one work? Are you doing group work? What's some of your offerings? So I offer group and individual component together. It's an activate coach coaching program where it's like a six month commitment of every other week groups, 12 group sessions and three individuals connected to that just to help people kind of get clear about what they want and what they think they want to move towards, then have some group experiences and like a check-in and then sort of finishing it up with another, where are you, where you're at? So that's my activate coaching program. And then I do some individual stuff as well. I offer for people to, I've got a discovery session, a free discovery session. So if somebody wants and is interested, I would love to connect to whoever and talk very specifically about how I could be helpful for somebody. And I do some in-person, all of that's virtual, but I do some in-person retreats that are a real deep reset that allow people to get more intensive with some of that. And we have one coming up in October. So yeah. Brilliant. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we're going to have links to your website and your social media and all of that information will be on the show notes page. And this is awesome. just, yeah, been a real joy, a real pleasure. And I so appreciate you contributing to the heal conversation. Oh, thank you, Sarah. And I've loved it as well. And I, I just love sort of the synergy that happens when sort of people that feel very passionate about similar things can really just, it's so energizing and I am going away from this feeling really wonderful. So thank you. Absolutely. Until we get to do it again. Yes. Thank you so much to today's guest, Tanya Cole Lesnick for her deep compassion and profound wisdom. For all the resources of today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickport, and our editor, Kendra Vicken. And as always, thank you for being here. We'll see you next time.